myself out. I am afraid of I'm terrified and paralyzed by I am deathly afraid of Welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast with your host, me, Ryan Perio. Hello and welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Perio. This week, my guest is a friend of the show, John Smith. John is talking about a fear that he feels may affect his employment as well as his perception around his peers. So we have gone to the extra effort to make sure that he stays anonymous. I have edited and actually for the first time modified a voice so that it doesn't give any verbal clues of who it could be, as well as we changed its name. John Smith's a good friend of the show. I've known him a while. Um, his fear is violent death, which is a very scary topic, I'm not going to lie. This episode, we talk about that fear, as well as his past life and how he's dealt with death his whole life. So let's get started, and here's my conversation with John Smith. We're here with my good friend and radio studio analyst, John Smith. John, how you doing today? I uh, I am doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, it's it's a relaxing weekend so far. I'm I'm happy to be here. Honestly, um, I'm really excited about this project, and uh, maybe not so excited to confront like the deepest, darkest corners of my psyche. But uh, yeah. Well, I wouldn't call it confront. I, I I like to say just kind of almost kind of like look at it and just it's almost like looking at the animal in the cage versus let's open the cage and, and get in there and wrestle with it. Because as a comic, I've kind of approached that's how I've approached my fears is like, you know, this happened. I should just go ahead and look at it and maybe write about it, like being bullied and other things that I, you know, anxiety things that I've encountered in my life. And so that's kind of where this all started. So I wouldn't say you're confronting. Like, you're not going to be like, you want to go with this, Freer? You ready? You ready for this? Because <laughs> I think if you approach it with aggression, then it answers with aggression as well. I, yeah, I, I, can, I can definitely see that. I can definitely see that. Um, but yeah, I'm ready to be as open and honest as possible on here. And so you work in radio, you're, you work in the tech, the technology and like, you're one of the, I guess what you would call, uh, tech guys. Yeah, I do. Um, I do production as well. I've directed some stuff like smaller projects. Uh, but I do, uh, rarely am I in front of the camera. I'm more of the back end guy, uh, the majority of the time. Yeah, for sure. You're the guy that just makes the magic work. It's the, it's the, how did this turn into this is your job basically. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've done some like larger production meetings and like my, my, my least favorite thing is to be in like a sales or marketing meeting mm -hmm. because I'll have to be there if someone has a tech question, but it really is just me sitting there for like an hour, twiddling my thumbs, listening to them talk about like, Oh no, this actress is too old, even though she's like 16. It, it's like very, um, some of the stuff that gets batted around un unsettles me and, and it's kind of ridiculous, but, um, I, and I've taken some script pitches and, and, and things like that before. And, and those are really fun. Um, I kind of have done it all. Mm -hmm. Well, that's awesome, John. I, I, I feel like it's a, it's a really cool business to get into. Um, you're on the younger side, so you have room to. It's it's something you want to start in young because I don't believe the pay can sustain somebody at my age. Well, uh, the the pay, um, e even getting into it, and and where I am it's still very much um, because in production, unless you're union, it's always going to be like razor thin mm -hmm. pay. And we, we live in a state that is uh, right to work. So not a lot of, uh, <laughs> not a lot of union work yeah. here. 
um, which is which is fine. It is what it mm-hmm. is. I mean, as long as you do, I believe, a good job and just, you know, try not to get on the radar in a bad way, I think you're always in a good spot. I I know right-to-work states can be kind of frightening because it could be, you know, anything could, you know, can potentially be a job ender. But I also feel like it's an opportunity just to, you know, to be able to get hired too, instead of having to go through all these different, either a union or something else. There is a spot for unionized work, I do believe that. But I also think, you know, for the job market, sometimes you just need something where people can walk in and hope and find employment because you can find talent. Well, and it, it, it's also... It, it is both are a double-edged sword because mm-hmm. one of the things that's that's nice is you're not necessarily tied to seniority laws mm-hmm. like it, you can you can do quick advancement but I think especially in this industry in in kind of whatever spot you're in if you are good at what you do and someone's not actively trying to like sabotage you you'll you'll advance pretty quickly or get onto projects that are very interesting. And I have been on the and I have been on the end of like the like the low end of the coffee gopher and, and all of that stuff. Uh, uh specifically like I'd already been working in the industry for like three or four years and so I took a side gig. I wasn't even getting paid. It was a favor to uh a mutual friend of ours and they were filming a comedy sketch on a weekend. And so it's like, yeah, I'll fill in. And so I immediately like move all of this heavy equipment up like three flights of stairs. Mm -hmm. And then they start setting up the equipment and our mutual friend goes, Hey, here's some money. Here's the coffee order. Go get it for us. And I was like, okay, it's not like I know how to set up lights or a camera or anything. No, that's cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's your show, buddy. It's your show. Yeah, you're you're the one running it. But uh, on the on the on the other end of that, I um was shooting a I was helping a friend shoot an indie horror movie that realistically at this point will never get released. <laughs> um but we rented out a, or they had rented out a um like a boy scout camp to film uh, at night. Mm-hmm. And so I immediately get off of my shift at my day job at the time and I drive like two hours out into East Texas. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I park, it just starts pouring down rain, but I'm supposed to be like, uh, like main assistant. And so they decide, well, we can't, we paid enough money that they're not going to let us rebook this. So we just have to shoot around the weather. So we had all of this stuff, all of these lights and everything plugged into this one, giant power strip um but we couldn't run a cable inside so it was like an external uh, plug that we had plugged it into so there was a pa who the whole night his job was just to hold like three umbrellas up so that no water got onto the, like all the electrical cables and killed somebody yeah that's that's definitely i mean that's that's passion right there that's something that you can tell that you're passionate about what you do when you're willing to you can do it all day, and then at the drop of a hat and pouring rain, yeah, it's on. And it may add more to the horror because I know the original Friday Thirteenth, you know they, you know, uh, you know did the rainstorm in the campgrounds. So I feel like it can be done with someone holding three umbrellas. That's a very scary proposition, I would say. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think that you and I have talked about this before, that that is, the, the Friday the 13th series is probably, if not, it, it's certainly top three, if not my favorite movie series. Definitely, it's scary, but it's also like, this is, you, you should, it's also like it's a, an advertisement for safe sex, because it was always the teens that were having sex that were in the most danger. And so I felt like there was always that undertone of, now, now, see what could happen if you have sex. Not only could you be judged by your peers, you could also be slain by a monster. Like it was always, it was the, it was like the most like frightening ad for safe sex. 
or abstinence. Yeah, it's especially the the original is is very much this weird um, morality tale. Like the late the later ones kind of start to eschew that and just like, oh no, we just need a body count. Yeah. But I've always liked I've always liked horror movies, and I've always found it interesting when John Carpenter talks about the first Halloween or talked about. Uh, he would always say that everyone thinks that it's a morality tale, but he is always much more horrified by Jamie Lee Curtis's character mm-hmm. than Michael Myers because she's the one that's not partying and having fun and having sex. And so she has all of these rep- repressed desires mm-hmm. that just when she's finally put in this pressure cooker situation, she's the one that responds with violence to violence. Mm-hmm. It, it, I, I just have found that um, an interesting dichotomy yeah. between the two franchises. That she's, she's not just she's not really the hero. She's the anti-hero. That is basically what you're saying is that because she is so, I guess, such an outlier that it, that it's she's also she's almost like the reflection of Michael in society, the Michael Myers, whereas Michael Myers is the outward outward killer. She is the inward. Yeah, they're they're the they're kind of the, the two sides of the of the same coin where he is like this. Uh, oddly like flamboyant character who wears this mask and this and this uh jump sh- jumpsuit like very much like is like if you saw him on the street you would be like what the hell is going mm-hmm. on whereas if you saw her you would you wouldn't bat an eye she's yeah. just this dowdy uh young woman mm-hmm. he embraced i guess the 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 rage or you know whatever drove him to kill, whereas she tried to repress it, and I think that's the the dichotomy is that he brought it out in her by being the representation of what she is on the inside, outside. Um, possibly, I something like that. I I, I think it's more like um, I, I I think it's a little more like um. When, when, whenever someone is put into like a, a pressure situation like that, it brings out something that wouldn't necessarily be there before. Mm-hmm. But if you're in that situation and it brings out this like violent response, that was always there. Yeah. You, that might have never come out on its own, mm-hmm. but it's always been there. It, it's kind of like when um, a lot of serial killers never plan their first kill it just happens but once it happens they're like oh that made me rock hard i need to do that again um like like that's one of the things yeah. with like with, with gacy i think with bundy uh Dahmer, all the all the big ones especially it, it's very much like they didn't necessarily plan it it just happened mm-hmm. and they're like oh now they need to recreate that that high exactly yeah S- so as a as a techni- as basically a production guy, like what is your what are your pet peeves? Because I feel like doing a podcast like you're just grading me right now. Like I feel like, and on a certain level, audio wise, you're like, hmm, let's see how this sounds when this comes out. Well, I, well, I'm I'm actually recording for my personal setup, mm-hmm. so I'm sure that my track is going to be significantly worse than yours because I I honestly don't have a very great personal setup. But I'm not, you know, when it comes to uh, specifically podcast, it's much more to me. And I, I was talking to somebody about this just a couple weeks ago. When I listen, I don't necessarily listen for audio quality, especially mm-hmm. early on. You listen for content. And if content, like, really grabs you, then you just support that show in ways that you can. And then over time, the quality of audio or whatever, you know, the technical quality, they can upgrade and stuff. Yeah. Because when a lot of people get into this, they're not necessarily doing it in a studio. They're yeah. doing it out of their living room or they're doing it with like a USB mic mm-hmm. instead of like into a soundboard. And that's fine. It, it's like you were talking about earlier, the passion needs to be there. Yes. And if the passion is there and the stuff is, is interesting, 
then then I'm willing to support it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for case in point, not to plug uh, necessarily another podcast on your podcast, but one of my favorites is Kill by Kill. And they started by going through the Friday the 13th series about two kills per episode at a time. And when you listen to it, when they start, like, they're on opposite ends of the country. Uh, obviously, they don't necessarily have, like, the greatest setups, um, scheduling errors, all this stuff. But over time, like, the, the audio quality increases, but the content is always there. It's always weird mm-hmm. and funny and something that I can relate to. And so I've been a big fan of theirs for forever. You know, that's yeah. that's kind of what I care about. You care about killing people. All right, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's what I care about. I want I want to murder somebody so bad, and these guys just just rock through it. But that's that's such an interesting dichotomy, though, to actually go through and just kind of almost madden straight, like the Friday the Thirteenth, like kills because. I think it was like in five or six, like it's like there's like 12 where he's like, it's the one with the kid in the wheelchair where he like punts the kid in the wheelchair. Oh, that's two. That's yeah. two. But it's like he has like 14 like kills in the movie. Cause that's also. Well, yeah. And so they have, they have like, it took them, I, I can't remember exactly how many episodes. I think it took them about 60 or 70 episodes to get all the way through and finish Jason X mm-hmm. um, because there, there are movies where they have almost 10 episodes. Yeah. Uh, even though they're, they start expanding on it. We're going to do four kills this time. Cause there's about like 40 kills in this movie. So yeah. we just can't spend that much time on it. Well, I would just almost do it as a season and just have every season be a different horror movie. And then that way it doesn't have to be episodic. So one season could be Friday the 13th and if that's a hundred episodes. So be it. But then you do the Nightmare on Elm Street kills. Then you could do, you know, whatever movies you wanted to do as far as, you know, that kind of tactic. I just feel like a seasonal, that'd be really cool to go through and they could pick what movie and to just follow along that season. And if, like you, they become a fan, then they listen to everything. Yeah, well, and that's kind of what they did is they did all of the first, they did all the Friday the 13th, except for Freddy versus Jason. And then I believe that right now they're still still wrapping up the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. And then once they're done with those, they do Freddy vs. Jason. Okay. And then interspersed in there are just random movies that yeah. don't necessarily have a lot of kills, but are very funny to you know riff on and, and stuff like that, just to kind of break up the monotony. And, it, and it's really weird because one of the shows that I did, uh, that I've worked with, they had someone come on in studio and do an interview and he, and he did the interview with us about three or four months after he had just been an interview on kill by kill. Mm -hmm. And so he comes in and finally it clicks like, Oh, that's where I know that name. And so before we start shooting, I go to him and I say, look, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that episode. I'm a big fan of this show. Um, I never do this. Is there any way that you could give me their contact info just so I can tell them how much I love the show? Um, trying to desperately get on the show. Uh, and, uh, he was like, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll get that to you. Give me your email. And, you know, and he never followed up and I was like, Oh, damn it. (laughs) Do Do they not have social media at all for their podcast? Um, uh, I'm not a big social media person. Okay. I, so. We could probably track that down for you and have that yeah, way. Yeah. You could reach out so that you could maybe, I guess, even be involved with, you know, production if we wanted to. Like, if you saw something audio that you could make better, you're like, hey, you just shoot it to me, you know, a couple weeks before. I'll, I'll <laughs> clean it up, send it back to you. Get all the episodes pre-released directly yeah. to me. Yeah, it, but I mean, you then you would get you can have credit on you know on said podcast if if you wanted it, you could say you're a part of it. But it's something again. If it's something you're passionate about, I mean, why not just say, hey, you know, this is what I do. You know, I'm a real big fan, and I'd love to help you guys out in any way I can. 
and well, I know, I, I know, I know that we had a couple um, uh, talks as as you were in the planning phase here of just general questions because I'm a big fan of just this idea mm-hmm. and uh, not to date this too much. We are recording this d- the day before the first three episodes drop, and I'm really excited to get to listen to all of them. Yes. It's very fascinating because I I would think I thought when I first did this that because I'm I have a bunch of interviews done like I you're probably interview twenty five or twenty six at this point so I have a lot of interviews recorded I've got about ten or eleven edited and I'm working on another one right now in between so you know while I'm doing comedy like this is taking up all the time instead of just sitting waiting for, to go up I'll take my laptop up and I'll just start. With Audacity, I'll start clipping episodes and stuff while I wait to go up at stand-up. And it's like, well, I got time. I, you know, I'm finding things to be productive about. But it's very interesting how many different fears people have. And I've only had one repeat so far. I thought everybody was going to say, yeah, I'm afraid of this. Or, you know, I thought I was going to have like three clowns, you know, two, two deaths. You know, and no, everybody's had everybody's had something that's been kind of unique. And I'm like, you know what? Let's talk about that one. And yours is fairly unique because you're you're the first one to actually broach death. And so that I thought was going to be, you know, every every third person I asked to be on the show was going to say, I'm afraid of death. Nobody so far. Well, that's that's interesting. Out of curiosity, what's the one repeat so far? I'll tell you off because I don't want to. I'll uh, have to edit it out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, not not just death. Mm-hmm. Specifically, violent death. Uh, death. You know, I've been I've been around death. I I think since I was, you know, young. I remember going to a lot of funerals when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I remember my grandpa's funeral when I was nine. I actually remember the moment that I was informed that he was dead. You Mm -hmm. know, I remember going to that funeral and that was the first time I saw my dad cry. Mm -hmm. You know, I have all, I have all these memories about death, but death itself doesn't really scare me. And and I'm not surprised that not a lot of people have come and said, Mm -hmm. have come to you and said, like, I'm scared of death, because I think that that's, that's more of a fear that people develop over time Mm -hmm. of like, as we feel that we are getting older and losing a step, that's when we start to think about our mortality and death in general. Um, But when you're young, I don't think that that's there as much, you know, but, but violent death, violent death terrifies me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, messes with my head constantly. And maybe that's the difference because my grandparents died. My grandmother, most of my grandparents survived well into my teens. Like my grandfather died when I was 14 or 15. And then my grandmothers didn't pass till I was well in my twenties. And so Maybe not having, I just had that consistency, you know, through my life of having these people there and then losing them at a later time in life. Whereas when you're younger, you don't quite get it. And it's kind of, it's, and it's hard for parents to explain because they're upset. And so it comes across maybe as like a mixed message of, you know, where you, where it's, like you said, it's at an early age, I would think that that would be so hard to kind of wrap your head around because, it's hard for your dad to sit you down and talk about it because your dad's, you know, having to go through the grieving process and it's hard to, it's hard to to provide comfort to somebody when you don't know how to comfort your own self, you know, in that situation. And. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and not to, not to be too callous and like comparing mm-hmm. the severity of the deaths, but I had pet pets throughout my childhood and you know pets i think are a lot of young kids like first interaction Mm -hmm. with with death in general like mortality but i remember like coming home from kindergarten and my kitten just laying there dead not moving and i i was like oh this is this is weird 
hey mom the 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 cat's not moving and she goes well we need to go we need to go get the shovel and so most of like the pets that i've had mm-hmm. i've actually either buried them myself or helped bury them and i think that that it it adds a bit of finality mm-hmm. and understanding yeah. but it also kind of um uh i don't know industrializes the process it kind of because you're like doing this action it's a ritual for you exactly it just kind of removes yeah some of that yeah i, I would say it maybe you know you it, i guess maybe the ritual does provide an understanding because this is what we do in this situation when things are no longer living we you know we we say goodbye we, we put them you know and whatever whatever spiritual afterlife you believe in then occurs well, I, I, it, 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 it's just, I, I, I will never forget this story is, um, uh, I've had pets, my mom's had pets and I, uh, a lot of, a lot of pets to the point that if we lose one, usually within three or four months, we, we have another. Mm-hmm. So throughout my childhood, we always had two dogs and a cat. Um, my parents still have two dogs and a cat. And I remember one time, um, I, I got woken up at like midnight, 1 a.m. by my dad. He's like banging on my door. This was in high school. And I, I get woken up and he goes, you know, put on some shoes. Uh, the, the dog died. And so obviously one of our dogs had passed. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, put on shoes and it's like bawling down or pouring down rain. And my mom is uh, holding, you know, this little pup. Uh, just absolutely bawling, and my dad and I are just there with shovels, like digging as fast as we can because it's like absolutely pouring down rain. And so finally, my dad, he's like, "What's what's wrong? We're uh, are we hitting tree roots?" And I, and so I take the flashlight and I look down, and um, we didn't realize it, but we had started digging into the grave of one of her previous dogs, and so there were just these bones it's like no it's not tree roots it's bones just get her to put the fucking dog in so that we can get out of here <laughs> you know it's it, and it's such i it sounds so terrible and it is but you do something like that enough and you remove yourself yeah from the idea of mortality is a bad thing yeah. you know like you said earlier you grieve mm-hmm. you move on and it and for me even when uh, even when like older relatives and stuff die, I find myself not really affected by it mm-hmm. because it's not unexpected. Yeah. A lot of the time you have this either inkling or, or foreknowledge. So you can kind of prepare yourself mentally for it. You can spend more time with them. You call them more frequently, stuff like yeah. that. But that's the other. But that's the thing of, of violent death with me is it's very much. It can come at any time. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a lot of enemies that 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 want you to, <laughs> that want you to meet your end with violence. Is this something that's a commonplace? Like, hey, John, remember me? And then they just come out of the shadow. There, there was there was a time in my life where that was uh, a real concern for me. I used to. I don't talk about this openly a lot, especially in public. But um, I used to be a purveyor of certain substances mm-hmm. uh, that may or may not be of a uh, varying legality. Okay. And um, that that was uh, there were there were there was there are several multi year periods where I remember constantly watching my back mm-hmm. understood um, and that and when you're in like a high risk thing like that it, of of that kind of industry yes that that can happen because you do i guess there is a a supply and demand and sometimes that demand can be of the of an irrational or i guess erratic nature and yeah, it, it, the the irrational the irrationality of it too, mm-hmm. um, and and even though I'm absolutely terrified that I'm uh, terrified of it, I am also fascinated mm-hmm. with it. It's like this macabre 
preparation almost because i read a lot about serial killers and all that stuff but if you've never heard of richard chase Mm -hmm. he was this um schizophrenic serial murderer in sacramento he was called the vampire of sacramento and he had this weird obsession with like consuming blood he thought he needed other people's blood to live and as part of his delusion he would just go around um trying people's front doors because he thought he was a vampire and so he wouldn't go into your house unless you let him in but if you left your door unlocked he took that as you were inviting him in so and he would just go in and like brutalize people and like completely irrational like you uh, all of his victims were like completely innocent people just going about their day for the most part and just immediately co- confronted with this absolute lunatic who, who brutalized them. And it's, that's, it, it's fucking scary, man, is what it is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, because you're not in control, you think you're safe, and you have very little time to react, if any, because... You're asleep. He's not. Well, it it wouldn't even be at night. It would be like broad daylight sometimes. Uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's just so it's so disconnected from the narrative that we tell ourselves about reality. Yeah, we 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 constantly lie to ourselves that everything is okay and functional and working normally, and none of that is 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 the truth. Uh, you know, um, but even when, even once, even once I quit, I, um, you know, I stopped watching my back. I, I got, you know, real jobs, um, that paid to be honest, a lot less, <laughs> but, um, it like that specter was still there, even though I wasn't watching my back anymore. Yeah. I didn't even realize that I was still like, I was had habits that were there to protect myself in case of an event. Like I I know that we've also talked about this before is I used to deliver pizzas for, for a long time. as like my day job. And, um, when I, in my, in my previous job, usually everything went fine. Uh, when I delivered pizzas, I had more guns pulled on me than when I was a purveyor of substances. (laughs) Um, and I don't know if you've ever experienced that, Ryan. Have you ever had a gun pulled on you? I've had a gun pulled on me a couple times, but not delivering pizzas. Usually, like, that was I was an alcoholic, and there were times where we were we. My friend had a, a studio in deep in Deep Elm where he would also throw parties, and these and some girls invited some guys in, and things got out of hand, and they pointed a gun at us, and I was drunk and belligerent at that time and I was like just go whatever you want to do and it wasn't you know I was like you know just you don't I don't think you want to do this in my head I was like you know you I know you have a gun but I don't think you want to you know to do this I don't think that you can do this and go about your day I think if you do this you're starting a chain reaction of stuff that you're you're not ready for that's how I've always I've been I've been robbed in an ATM where a guy had a gun in my back and I literally at that point you know I'm I can't fight it because I'm I'm crushed against I'm I'm not a big guy I'm crushed against his ATM and all I can think to say is you know there's a camera right here right you know you understand there's a camera right behind, you know, right here in the little screen of the ATM, and he ran away. And, you know, I, you know, I sit in my car, I just collect myself, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's an intense situation, and I have to, you know, breathe. But a lot of time in my most stressful situations, I can somehow pull it together to say something or at least diffuse is what i would say is my is my 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 fight or flight it does it isn't to resist and fight you with physical force 
I've tried that before as I was younger, and I was easily overpowered. And so that was I would say that's one thing about me that's different because as a shorter guy with not much, you know, muscle, I don't have that little man syndrome of I've got to work out, I've got to I've got to be the bully. I've always just relied on okay, my survival is just that I'm going to try to think my way out of the situation. And sometimes you can't. At some point, you know, time will run out and if I'm in a situation, I could say something that's absolutely wrong or the guy just doesn't want to hear it. But it is my, I guess, one gift is that in the midst of this situation is I can still converse instead of being completely mortified and, and, and like completely afraid, you know, can't move. Oh yeah, no. In a, in a situation like that, you can't let it shut down. Otherwise, it it gets so much worse. And I, I'm definitely of the, the of of the type now of diffusing the the situation. But I still, it's just this weird thing in the back of my mind that, um, uh, I don't own a gun. I uh, I don't like guns. Yeah, I've had I've had enough like pointed at my face like the, the worst one i think was we um we had a blackout in the city um where i was delivering and so all of those orders immediately had to be canceled because there was no power and then as soon as uh the power comes back on those orders immediately go back up on the screen if we have to go play catch up and i was you know i was the top driver at the time so they were the ones to, you know so i take the first order that comes out to go and it was an old couple and i guess that they forgot that they had ordered pizza because of the stress of the blackout and so i knock on their door and uh you know obviously you know i hear this older man say you know who is it and I'm like i've got your pizza and then he has his wife open the door and he's holding a double barrel shotgun pointed mm-hmm. right at my head and I'm like opening the bag and like showing them, hey, you know, you it's ordered real. pizza earlier, so it's it's real, it's here, and just having this tense stare down, mm-hmm. and then the guy going, oh, we completely, like just that weird tonal <laughs> shift of you were about ready to kill me, and now you want to be friends, um, and, and so I don't I don't like guns, mm-hmm. but I but when I delivered, I um, I kept a machete in my car. Um, within arm's reach. So if, if anyone ever tried to rob me, um, I still, I still carry, whenever I go outside, I still carry two different knives on me at different parts of my body, mm-hmm. uh, just in case it, it's just this, this coping mechanism mm-hmm. of like, I'm going to diffuse as much as possible, Yeah. but diffusion only works until you hit that point of irrationality. Like you, like you were saying earlier, mm-hmm of until they decide like they're not going to work with you and then it's like okay all right motherfucker well if you want to do this i'm not going to go down without a fight i will Mm -hmm. do my best to cause you some damage it might not be much but you'll never walk the same yeah you will have my dna will be on your person (laughs) you'll remember me well it's just one of those (laughs) things of how can i get you know because i've watched forensic files and things like that so i'm like how can i how can I, you know, leave my evidence on this person so that when when they do solve this crime, he's the one that gets caught? Oh, and I've I've been stabbed before and I know how much of a son of a bitch it is. So it's like, you know, if you might not die, but it's gonna be an inconvenience. I still I still remember that moment that, that happened. I'll never forget that guy. Why were you stabbed? Uh, someone someone tried to steal a, a large uh, buy from me, like it was it was set up. Okay. There, there was a deal, and we we were meeting. And when you said large, I thought pepper large pepperoni. I was like, I was waiting for the next pizza. <laughs> I had this large pepperoni pizza. 
no, no, there, there, there was a certain amount of product and everything had been scheduled, you know, and it was supposed to be one-on-one meeting and I, I'd worked with this person before, but for some reason, this dude finally, uh, finally decided that he didn't want to pay. And so I ask him for the money and he comes up and he uh, stabbed me in the thigh and, and, and I was like, okay, no, we're not having this. And so I like barrel off of him. Uh, or I barrel him over and then I start running and I get in my car and I speed away and uh, I get back to my apartment and realize that the knife is still in me. And I'm like, oh, yeah. we have to deal with this. Yeah, but it was pure adrenaline at that point. You're, I'm sure at that point that that was all adrenaline. You, you As soon as you wound down, that thigh was like, can't move. Okay. Or not moving as good as I did to my car. Yeah, no, it, and it, 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 was, it's, it, it goes back to the whole thing of like, ne- in that moment, mm-hmm. never in my, never in my thought process was like, I have to solve this dude's, this dude is a problem. The problem is I have to get this that is worth this ungodly amount of money mm-hmm. away from here because that is what's more important to account for. Save, save the cargo. Yes. Flee. Don't fight. Because yeah. that problem that's lying on the ground now, that is going to be solved eventually by someone else. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's not my fight. Well, I'm glad you got out of there okay, and I'm glad you've turned a corner, I would say, and started delivering pizzas. Which, <laughs> by yeah. your own admission, is way more dangerous work. Uh, it, yeah, you know, I, I would say that I delivered to, I delivered more pizzas to meth houses than I did (laughs) anything else. Um, and it was the only time delivering pizzas was the only time I ever interacted with neo-Nazis or white supremacists. Okay. Um, and that was, that was always scary, you know, because it goes back to that unpredictability of, yeah. I just have to say one thing to piss them off and I'm pretty sure they can make my car disappear and I'll just be in these woods for the rest of my death. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. And the, there's like the high tent situation and you just somehow have got to dig deep and just try to not tip your hand that you're uncomfortable or you're there's a, cause in some situations I will say we did an open mic at a biker bar one time and this biker bar, this, this biker group that was there was one that was in the news for a shootout. And so while we were at the open mic, people were like, you know, Hey, you're cool. Just don't mention said shootout, you know, in your comedy, you know, just kind of disregard them. Well, they stopped the whole thing for a birthday party. Like it was like, they we're going to, we're it's, it's some, uh, one of the ladies' birthday, and we were like, you know what? Let's just sing happy birthday as well. You know, we everybody knew like the situation is. You know what? Let's just let's help them out. And one comic didn't get the memo, and he's like, "Aren't you the guys that did the shootout at what's?" Um, and we're like, "And you don't know what's gonna happen at that point." In, at that point, we're like, okay, well, this is gonna this is gonna get ugly really fast. Let me go ahead and get my car keys into my right hand so that I can get in my car and start it really quick. Go grab the machete. <laughs> well, I have no machete at this point. It, at this, I'm 43, and I have little to no regrets, and so I've kind of accepted. You know, at some point, fate, you know, will play a hand in in your life and either could be 80 of natural causes. It could be tomorrow, you know, on the highway, you just don't know. And I get the violent part of it where it does, you know, when you are, I guess, subjected to violence by, you know, whatever job you're doing, if you're subjected to that kind of, of intense violence, yeah, it can become a fear because you can see that kind of, you see that side of humanity that you see the you see the people that are willing to you know to take life for something for a need of theirs or a need of somebody else's that they're willing to take life with with little to no regard for it 
And so, yeah, that's terrifying to know that that is out there because a lot of people don't see that every day. You, because of, you know, some of the choices were, you know, exposed to it. And so now you, you see it, you kind of, I guess you would ha say you have a different view of the world because you've seen it from that side of the coin versus the side of the coin that I grew up in in suburban America that that kind of thing maybe happened, but you didn't see or hear about it. You just, you would see the police cars go by, but that never, that never happened on your block, you know, in my life. So that would be like, I didn't have that on my block. I didn't have violent violence and in gunfire and stuff like that. It was, it was coming. Like when we were moving out of my neighborhood in Houston, it was starting to be like a lot of, I would say, you know, a lot of more police presence and a lot more, I would say, you know, look like, oh, that guy is in such and such gang. You know, it was starting to become that. And so yeah. we kind of got out right before all of that, I guess, kind of permeated my neighborhood. But growing up, I didn't know anything about it. It was, we grew up in a dead-end neighborhood and it took years before the rest of that neighborhood took shape. Well, yeah, and, 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 and you're not wrong. It's, it's the whole thing of like, you know, and it also stares back into you. You know, if you were around the abyss, you're going to be affected by it. Yeah. And, and I think that it, because it, it's a weird thing. I, I'm not terrified of like a car crash or like uh, a random aneurysm mm -hmm. or pulmonary embolism or all these other things that just cause immediate death. It is that specter of violence, you mm -hmm. know, and, and I've experienced some brutal pain in my life just from random stuff that's happened. I mean, obviously, you know, the stabbing, but it's, it's that, that idea that it, it's going to come mm -hmm. it, it, that it's unpredictable when it will come, but it will also be unpredictable how much you're going to have to go through. You know, like, yeah. is this guy going to pull me into a room and torture me for three weeks? Or is he just going to put a bullet in my head? Yeah. Again, I'm glad that you've you've definitely made better choices and gotten yourself away from from that, I guess, from potent, that potential end. Because in, certain, in things of various legality comes various danger. And... Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell this is like, because, you know, and I'm sure that other people talked about this and I talked about it earlier of like coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I would do right after I kind of slowly transitioned out of that, um, was, um, whenever I was at a party, um, in college, uh, once everyone was there, I would go out because we would, because me and my friends, we would throw like huge parties, like 150, 200 people. Um, and they're all art kids, you know, so it's absolutely insane. We would like go to the liquor store and buy like $600 worth of booze and people would still bring their own. It's it, insane parties. But once most of the people were there, I would go out into the, the parking lot that we had or whatever field that was in. And I would just go look at license plates and look for the license plate numbers mm -hmm. that were in the back of my head of like, this is someone that I should not be around that has no reason being here and shouldn't be around me to the point that, uh, even though these people, uh, ostensibly knew that I was one of the hosts of the party, I would frequently have someone who wasn't a normal person come up to me and be like are you looking to rob my car and then i'd have to call one of the other hosts to come out and like talk them down of like no yeah he's not gonna rob your stuff he's just checking to make sure that certain people shouldn't be here mm -hmm. it, it, like that was just one of the things that i did and i still i still do stuff like that occasionally mm -hmm. like i will if if ever somebody cuts me off or or does something like that on the highway, I will remember that license plate 
number until I get to my destination, and then I will make a note of it in my phone so that I have a record of that. So if I ever see that license plate again, I can know to avoid that person. It, I know I know it's insane. I know it's insane, but I do shit like that. Avoid or report them as a drunk driver. Avoid. Because I don't... <laughs> no, I, I just just complete avoidance. Yeah. Because, because it's the whole thing of like... Also, I know that it's way more likely to start a confrontation mm-hmm. if you like involve yourself with someone. Even if, even if I go and reporting someone as a drunk driver, there's still a record of you yeah. reporting that. And, you know, no one should have access to those records. Yeah. But what if you have to go to court and testify? Or what if their cousin is an officer? Like, mm-hmm. I know plenty of people that are officers or ex-officers. Like, one of our favorite bar owners is an ex-officer. And if you think that it's ridiculous that he can't go to one of his buddies mm-hmm. and ask him to run a plate. somebody's plate or, or somebody's information, uh, no, that's totally... It shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. But stuff like that does, yeah. you know? And I, it... it it's much easier to just not start anything at all mm-hmm. un- unless there's something terrible happening. Like if, if I see somebody being like accosted mm-hmm. at a bar or something like that, I will insert myself in there. Yes. But when it comes to like just one-on-one. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm much happier to, if someone wants to start a fight with me at a bar, I'm much happier to just buy them a drink than, than deal with it. I'm like, I'm, you know, maybe I was in the wrong. Let me get you a beer mm-hmm. rather than have them in my face and then them do something that obviously they can't control or me do something that I'm going to regret. Yes. You know, I always do something I regret and that's talking to people. <laughs> that, that's my regret. Is why did I start a conversation with you? Uh, that, but I the drunk driving thing comes from a fantasy because again I'm short and slight, so I am always afraid of the road rage. But I do get angry at someone cut me off, and I try not to use the horn because it's like that just that just lets them know, hey, this little pussy back here is piping up. <laughs> You know, this guy thinks well, he, I think- this guy thinks he can take you on, and so that's why I made the, the joke about like I flip people off like under the window so they can't see it. Like, mm, like I, I'm just so I'm such a repressed weenie that it's like I don't really have road rage. You don't, you can't, you can't be road rage. You, you're not ready for road rage. You haven't worked out enough at the gym. Oh my. My friends, um, I, I have a friend who will not let their child ride in the car with me if I'm driving because I will, I will s- swear up and down. I will scream at people like I, my blood pressure Someone raises like you, every time I drive downtown, but I will never, I will never honk at people. I will never do, I will never mm-hmm. flip people off. Nothing like that. Because in my mind, I know for a fact that I'm sure I've accidentally cut people off or done stuff, not, not realizing or changed lanes right before check. You know, you do the thing where you change lanes Mm -hmm. and as you're changing lanes, you look in your blind spot and then see there's a car there rather than before. I'm sure 100% I've done stuff like that. So I can't be outwardly mad if someone does that to me Mm -hmm. because I don't know what's going on with their day. You know, I can, I can be mad in my car, but I'm not going to, if someone cuts me off, I'm not going to whip out in front of them and try and cut them back off. Yeah. You know, that's, that, that is how you start a confrontation and that is how you violently die. And I just, I just take the, I just take the license plate down. That's what Mm -hmm. I do of like, okay, if I see this car again, I need to remove myself and like get past them as quickly as possible. Well, John, I appreciate you doing this. Normally, I would ask for your social media at this point, but since you don't have any, I'll ask you to send me the the stuff for that podcast about the kills for Friday the 13th, and we'll, put, oh, we'll post yeah. them in the show notes, and I'll see if we can 
find out anything about them so that they can you can get into contact with them so that you can you can develop a dialogue of fandom and anything else like if they're doing a live show or something like that you can show you you can contact them perfect yeah um i also i know i know that normally people have plugs here i would just plug um obviously that but also um uh if you were not uh in this day and age terrified by neo-nazis uh for some reason you don't figure that that's a problem uh go watch green room because that will like green room if you're not terrified of violent death will make you absolutely terrified of violent death and if you're looking for a fun dumb movie watch the stuff okay i will definitely <laughs> so look both of those up thank you again john and we'll talk again soon of course it was a pleasure so that was john smith wow that's got to be a scary lifestyle. I have no concept of how I could live life that way. I'm too much of a coward to ever live any kind of life that questions legality, employment, or anything of that nature. I'm just too much of a chicken. That's an amazing story. And I appreciate John coming forward with that story. Hopefully, he's past that life and he can move forward, but... Life like that leaves a lot of scars, like not even just physical, emotional, psychological. There are things and habits that you will always carry with you forever. Any kind of life where you fear for your safety all the time or reprisal has got to be emotionally draining. How do you come back from that? How do you survive? As for myself... This week has been a lot of just working and getting ready for Christmas, the holiday season. Apparently, my mother may or may not have COVID. She has yet to get tested. She's felt some symptoms, but we're unknown. I haven't been able to visit her because my stepfather, her husband, had a heart attack recently. And so I've had to keep my distance to, for their safety as well as his own. I hope they're doing well. I love them very much. I talk to them on a semi-regular basis. Up next on the holidays is Christmas, and I usually spend that with my father's side of the family. It's usually a fun time. I don't know what the theme is so far. I have yet to call my father and talk to him. Hopefully they're doing well comedy-wise. Just done a lot of open mics and weekend shows at the Backdoor Comedy Club. I also did a Thursday at Hyenas. But other than that, it's just been a lot of open mics and working from home. It's getting a little chilly. I've brought my plants indoors because weather's been in the 30s. So my house is very jungle-esque at the moment. We're almost to the end of 2020. As crazy as that seems. I'll ho hopefully have some new interviews in the new year. I'm still working through all the ones I did over the summer. I am about more than halfway through, but I still have a lot of going on to where I don't want to do any new interviews and tell them that it's going to be maybe 10 weeks or so out. So I'm trying to get around five to six week window that I can kind of project out a guest that I interview as to when their interview will be released rather than, well, I don't know. I've got a lot of interviews to go through. Got some great interviews coming up. Hopefully you enjoy what I'm doing. If, if so, please leave a review on iTunes, Google, or whatever, wherever you listen to podcasts. And now some credits and thank yous for the people that make this show possible. Thanks to Barry Whitewater, who does my graphics and design for my comedy as well as my podcast. You can follow him on Instagram at bwhite2o. Get it, Whitewater. Also, a big thank you to Gunnar Olsen for my music. You can follow him on Instagram at gunbuns. That's G-U-N-B-U-N-S. You can also check out his website at gunnarolson.net. And you can check out his awesome EPs and some music he's got coming out. Real excited for him. If you want to follow me on social media, I am at Ryan Perio on all social media. It's R-Y-A-N-P-E-R-R-I-O. If you want to follow the show, I highly recommend it. Instagram and Twitter is at Some Fear Fans. Facebook group is Some of All Fears. If you, want to, if you have questions for the show or feedback, 
email me at somefearfans at gmail. If you want to be a guest on the show, also email me at somefearfans at gmail.com. We can make that happen. Please keep leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you listen to. I appreciate. I just appreciate seeing that people like what I'm putting out. So if you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a review. I appreciate all of you for listening. And next week, we'll have another guest with another fear. Thanks for listening to The Sum of All Fears. Thank you.